Hi, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, Forbes columnist, spokesperson, and now author with my book now available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. You can probably guess the name. It's also called U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created the U-Turn Podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are and upgrade your confidence in work and love. Also, if you order a copy of your book right now, we're giving away a free bundle of courses on money mindset, on how to start a side hustle, on how to find your purpose in the workforce, and so much more. All you got to do is upload a screenshot of your receipt over at uturnbook.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N book.com. You can learn about the courses, upload your receipt, and get access to them from ordering our book right there, right now, while it's still available. Also, this episode has been brought to you by our sponsor, Organifi, my absolute favorite wellness brand out there. So if you'd like to get some of their products, just type in the code U-Turn at checkout, Y-O-U-T-U-R-N for 20% off. You know how much I love their chocolate and vanilla protein. And I could just talk about it until I'm blue in the face. It's the ultimate healthy treat for your sweet tooth. Now let's get in to this week's episode. But our society has created a norm that life is tough, get a helmet, stick to it, even if it sucks because that's what you're supposed to do. So it's created this society that we've normalized living in karma instead of living in Kriya. So it can feel like foreign land to switch. Now, the more that we're in that karma, the more difficult the switch is going to be, the more tumultuous those waves are going to be. However, we can trust, if we can trust that nature is perfect, that source whoever it is designed this perfect world with the seasons and natures and snowflakes and all these epic things and we're a part of that too then we can trust that we too have a purpose so at first depending on how off track you are you're gonna have to have awkward conversations you might have to go through really difficult months you know i was almost disowned by my own family for doing this however the more and more you in your own words, U-turn or pivot or redirect towards your dharma and get back on that dharma highway, the more flow you'll experience. What's going on, U-turn friends? This week, I have something really special for you in the mindset category, and it is not only an incredible leader, but my friend, Sahara Rose. So you've probably heard of her from some of her other books. She wrote Eat, Feel Fresh, an Ayurvedic guide, all on Amazon. But this today, right now, this week, her book is out called Discover Your Dharma. And it is just such an incredible compliment to everything that I talk about with career clarity. It's a Vedic guide to finding your purpose. You've got to get a copy right now today. Let's support her. And it is going to support you in such a big way. She is a speaker, a best-selling author. She's the host of the Highest Self podcast. I'm going to be on her show soon. So definitely check her out. It is such an incredible show. And she's really committed to that sacred sister 
of spirituality for women. And this advice that we're going to go through on this episode about how to figure out your purpose, both in work and in life, is just going to apply across the board. And she also has the Rose Gold Goddesses, which is a collective of women who are committed to their dharma. So whether you're a cool and evolved guy or a woman looking for your purpose, this episode is for you. Sahara, thanks for being here. Ah, thank you for that epic introduction. I'm so excited because we're both like ready to change your life. So I'm so excited (laughs) to chat with you today. (laughs) Yeah, you know, honestly, I feel like you are somebody that when I listen to you speak, you really do light up and just have such a natural flow. Have you always known that that was your dharma to be out there with your voice in the way that you are? You know, it's kind of funny because I feel like when kids are verbal or they express themselves well, their parents are like, "Hmm, you're a good arguer. You should be a lawyer one day. Did you ever hear that? Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's like, why a lawyer? Like we got to like sue people for injury claims because we can talk. Like, so I just thought, you know what? I'll just be a lawyer because that's what they keep telling me. So I actually was on that path. And I went to school at George Washington University and I was studying international development and I wanted to become an international human rights lawyer. And then from that journey of working with different NGOs, I realized that I love being on the ground working with people, but I don't love raising money for the fundraiser and being in the spreadsheets and feeling so far away from the people that I was helping. And at that same time, I had different health issues. So it ended up transitioning to me this was in 2009 when like blogging was still a little bit weird to do, but I was like, you know what? I don't really know if I'm going to do this thing that I'm studying in school for, but I'm really interested in nutrition and health and digestion and healing my body right now because of my own health issues. My body was breaking down. I went to perimenopause. I had osteoporosis symptoms. And that's when I started to blog. And that blog became my obsession. Like every single day, not only was I writing the blog post, but I was like, how do I make it prettier? How do I do SEO? How do I do this and that? So I always have been someone who's used my verbal abilities to translate whatever obstacle it is that I'm going through. And as life has given me different obstacles, that has transitioned what it is that I'm teaching about and speaking about. So from digestion, food, nutrition, et cetera, to me eventually writing books about it. And then the question I was really getting was like, how are you writing books on Ayurveda and making a living doing it and working with Deepak Chopra? Like, wait, how is this even happening? And the story behind the story was how did I make this my purpose? So I began to share more about that and also my own journey and obstacles of my parents completely not believing what I was doing and being very, very skeptical and really trying to actually stop me because they were so fearful of the path that I was taking and the strength that I needed to gain along the way. So all of that brought me to this moment right now of helping people find their dharma, their purpose. And, you know, we'll talk more about the difference between your dharma and your career, but it's really the big reason why you're here and understanding that so they can then live a life that's in alignment with their truth. Yes. And I also was looking at your Instagram, which those of you who don't follow Sahara, she posts really good content. And I was noticing that you have, I think it's nine archetypes, right? Mm -hmm. In your book. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because in the U-turn book, I have 11 core skill sets that I think everybody can kind of fit into in the workforce. And I saw that you have these different nine archetypes of what different people or different types of Dharma exist. 
if you could, if somebody for some reason was just crazy and didn't get a copy of this book, what would you say are like the top two or three messages that you think everybody needs to know in order to get closer to their dharma? Yeah. So for me, archetypal systems have been so helpful. Archetypes being kind of categorizations of types of people. So for example, like Myers-Briggs is an archetype, Enneagram's an archetype, even goddesses are an archetype. So when I was understanding my own dharma, I realized, okay, I'm someone who really likes to teach. I really like to speak. I really like to create content, but the things that I don't love to do, you know, through trial and error were I don't, you know, even though I was a one-on-one coach for five years, I don't really love doing that. I know you've, you've had experiences like that too. And certain things that I love to do and didn't love to do. So when writing this book, I broke them down into nine Dharma archetypes. I'd love to see how they coincide with your, with your 11 types, but they are teacher. So teachers are people who are here to teach and guide right? Like you are someone who any obstacle you have, you're immediately going to be creating a framework, creating a system and teaching it to other people. The second Mm. is nurturer. So nurturer are those people who are here to care and connect. They are just like Libby Crow, you know, (laughs) they're just so loving. They are so heart-based. They can really sit down and listen and they have that Oprah type of energy, right? We can all like imagine someone in our minds like that. Then Mm -hmm. we have the visionary. So the visionary is here to usher in the new paradigm. They're very inspirational. They're big picture thinkers. They're thinking about the future. Where is the world going? So for example, thinking of Greta Thunberg as a visionary or, you know, Eckhart Tolle as a visionary. Um, We both have the visionary archetypes in us as well. It's like, we're really trying to think of things from a big picture perspective and, and see how things can be better moving forward. Mm. Then there's the entrepreneur, which we both definitely have as well. But, you know, for example, I mean, I'm sure you've had so many just like, like Natalie Ellis has so much of this of just like, you're here for profit and impact. So you're here to create systems, create businesses that can excel and scale and grow. And that's your genius. Like Scott Oldford, who you might've had on the podcast, um, Richard Branson, a lot of these people who are serial entrepreneurs, that's actually part of their dharma. Yeah, definitely. And I also find that sometimes there's some confusion around the entrepreneur archetype because in my case, for example, I happen to be entrepreneurial, but it's almost like I'm more of a content creator. And I'm sure that that fits under one of these. And it's like by happen, I don't want to say it's by happenstance I've become an entrepreneur, but I kind of lead in that content creation zone that you were talking about, like writing your blog and wanting to figure it out. But you're really a content creator in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when it comes to me having to step into my entrepreneur hat where I have to look at systems and leverage and scaling, I start to kind of like, I don't know, I I treat it almost like I'm swallowing something I don't want to eat, but I do it. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that for the entrepreneur archetype, because I know there's a lot of people also who are intrapreneurial um, who might fit under this as well. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, in our, in our world, we really celebrate the entrepreneur. Not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. It's really not in alignment with everyone's best gifts. For some people, it could be really stressful. Like I'm like you, I do it because I have to, but I don't want to, I'm not excited about it. It's more so that is something that I'm willing to do to sustain what it is that I really do want to do. So for me, that's my fifth archetype because we're all nine of these archetypes, but in varying amounts. So for you, I would say you're the teacher, you're the visionary, you're the artist. Then you might be the entrepreneur after that. You also have the entertainer too, which I'll get into 
but it means it's a part of you, but it's not your number one thing that you're leading with. Yeah. That's so funny that you say this. Cause even with my core skill sets in the U-turn book, it's like, this is what I talk about is kind of like really paying attention to which one you'd lead with, which is what was going to also be my question. So you said there's teacher, nurturer, visionary, entrepreneur, tell me more. Yeah. So then there's the artist and the artist is here to create beauty. So they're the person that everything they do is going to have a beautiful element to it from, you know, their home is just designed really well. Their social media feed, their outfit, they are just beauty creators. So again, they may have different careers. They might be a graphic designer for some period of their life. Then they might be a hairstylist Then they might be an interior designer. Then they might be a florist and they may be, you know, kicking themselves of like, why do I keep changing my career? I'm so dumb. I must not have a purpose, but actually their Dharma is the same. Their Dharma is to create beauty to this world. So I think of your Dharma more as your company's mission statement. It's that overarching Mm -hmm. reason of why you're here. And then the career jobs projects are the services. So you could be the interior designer, graphic designer, hairstylist, et cetera. But the Dharma, the reason behind it, why the red thread was the same. So these archetypes of each of the Dharmas are related to more so the reasoning behind why you're doing things, but the actual roles and physical manifestations of it can be different throughout your life. And that doesn't mean that you're failing by any means. It means some of us, we get bored doing the same thing day after day. That's more related to the air archetype. So people who are very airy, they need to try a lot of things. They like to dabble, but it's important for them to then, you know, take action on it and bring it to being. Whereas some people really stick to one thing. They're like, I'm a coach. I'm happy being a coach and I don't need to try anything else because I love what I'm doing. And that's part of their Dharma as well. So your archetype doesn't mean that you're like stuck with that one thing forever. However, it's probably going to show up in everything it is that you do. Yeah, I love this. All right. So I feel like everybody listening is probably like somewhat resonating with these five. And I know there's four more. Um, how do you kind of harness that those little pieces from the other dharmas? Like, do you say to yourself, like, this might be something that is reflected in a hobby that I have? Or how do you kind of reconcile that? Totally. So for example, my main dharma archetypes are visionary, teacher, artist, entrepreneur, and then activist. So my, I would say probably your top two are going to really show up for you through everything it is that you do, but those other ones can kind of switch roles. So for example, I, when I was like in my early twenties studying human rights, et cetera, the activist one was like super higher up. In fact, I probably at that stage of my life would have said my number one, one might have been an activist. However, in my own experience and learning, that was me actually acting out of a shadow. Sometimes shadows can make, and shadow meaning a suppressed part of yourself. So my shadow type is I try to be a savior. I try to help everyone. I try to fix things. So that was giving me gratification into, you know, I'm going to be the activist and save the world. However, when I was able to reconcile that part of myself and realize that it's not my responsibility to save everyone, then that activist archetype started to go down. But the visionary started to come up of how can I use my gifts to save the world, not sacrifice myself to save the world. So it's really interesting to see how different times of your life, different archetypes could be the most, you know, the most strong at that time. However, when you do healing work, you get more self-aware, et cetera. It could also cause them to switch. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting that you're asking this because, um, one thing that I love talking to U-turners about in general is just this question of, 
is your interest in this thing wounded or is it inspired? And sometimes our wounds inform our inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. But I love that you're kind of like drawing this underline here of like, sometimes being the activist is just a shadow for some wounding that you need to heal. And then that's not actually who you are. It's just who you're being in reaction to something that you're still processing in your life. Okay. So you said teacher, nurturer, visionary, entrepreneur, artist, activist. What are the final ones? Yeah. So then we have the researcher. So the researcher is here to understand deeply. Like your happy place is just to be deep in your books or like on a Google tangent, like 30 tabs deep and just to learn and to understand things from a really core level. So people who obviously tend to go into research, but maybe there's someone who to make a decision, they need to really study it for a long time or they won't believe something simply because it's on social media. They're going to go do their research behind that. You definitely have some of this archetype as well. Um, so a lot of people who go into, you know, sciences definitely have this. Um, people who go into law, people who have more of an analytical mind will have the researcher. Then there's the entertainer who are here to make people feel. So entertainer doesn't mean you're just going to make people laugh, but you might love to make people think or cry or feel nostalgic. And that's really what the entertainer does. And all of these archetypes have always existed, even back in the time we had the jester. It's always been a part of our society, but the entertainer feels the most alive when they are letting other people feel an experience. They come alive, whether it's on camera, on stage, um, on a recital, whatever it is. So Jim Carrey, you know, being a, a huge example of this, he literally shapeshifts himself, that he becomes these other characters that, you know, each of these archetypes has its shadow side as well, that sometimes with the entertainer, they don't know quite who they are because they're always playing these different roles. So mm. that's the entertainer. And then we have the warrior, which is the last one. So they're here to protect and lead. So We've all kind of felt like maybe it's yourself or that friend who has that strong warrior energy. Like if, if a friend is down, they're like, we're going to support this friend. Like they want to rally around a cause. They, they have a lot of physical energy. They tend to really be in their physical bodies, like into fitness, et cetera. Um, and they, you know, the, the beautiful side of it is they have a lot of energy. For example, AOC, the politician, Alexandria Octavio Cortez is a great example of a warrior of why people love her so much is she's able to, you know, protect the disenfranchised and be their voice and stand up into politicians face and speak her truth. And she has that warrior like energy to her. And then the shadow side of that archetype too, is sometimes you could be so quick to defend without doing that research. So each of these archetypes even have the very archetype that's like the opposite of it. So like researcher and warrior would be kind of opposite archetypes. So looking at those, we all have, you know, a series of all of these archetypes, but in varying amounts, but you're probably going to have like three or four that you're the highest in. And then maybe a couple that you're the lowest in, or maybe you're like, I hate being a nurturer or I hate being an entertainer or whatever it is. And then there's even work for you to do there of like, why am I suppressing that side of myself? How could I maybe become, because we really should be okay being able to step into all of these different archetypes. However, they're not all going to be in alignment with your Dharma, but living your Dharma is going to require you to be versatile that, for example, let's say you're super nurture. You're like, I hate, I hate confrontation. I hate being a warrior. I hate hard conversations. I can't do that. Well, even as a nurturer, let's say you're a life coach, 
you're going to have to have some difficult conversations with your clients, with your team, et cetera. So you might need to become friends with that warrior energy in you so you could really thrive in your nurturer. I love this. It's so true. And this actually kind of gets me to want to ask you, well, speaking of warrior, that was probably the energy I was in in counterterrorism at the Pentagon. And that was a shadow for me was wanting to protect people because I didn't feel safe and Mm. I wanted to make the world feel safe. So it's interesting that you're pointing this out. But you also made a really good point just around kind of those moments where you're asked to be someone that you're not. Like maybe you're at, you're asked to show up in an energy that doesn't really align with your dharma. What message would you have for people kind of even taking this point further of the life coach who needs to have the hard conversation? Like I always tell people in the workforce that, you know, if you're 80% of the time doing work in your job that aligns with a core skill set that you want to be harnessing, growing, leveraging, and that aligns with who you want to be in the world, you're doing pretty great. And I think there's a lot of stigma around loving your work. And sometimes it gets misunderstood to the point where people don't like a certain piece of their job and they think the job is not for them. I'm curious, like what your message is around like doing those parts of your work that maybe you're in your dharma and you have to kind of navigate that other piece of not liking something. Totally. I think that especially when we start something, we start a new career or business or whatever it is, you're going to have to play a lot of different roles and you're going to have a lot more probably things on your plate that you don't love to do, but it's part of your training. It's part of, you know, you being able to take your career or business off the ground. However, as you grow in it more, you can, you know, for example, get promoted or hire people to do the things that you don't love to do as much. And eventually you really can get to a point that you're completely in your zone of genius and you aren't really doing the things that you don't want to do. That doesn't mean you're not going to still have difficult conversations or, you know, have to just have confrontations that you might not want to have. However, as you grow, you're going to be able to hand off more of that because the opportunity cost of your time is going to be so much. So using the example of, let's say you're going to start a blog at the beginning of starting a blog, guess what? You're your blog's manager, your content uploader, your SEO person, your graphic designer, you're you're everything, right? And then as that blog grows, maybe the first thing you hand off is that thing that you really hate to do. Maybe you really hate being on camera by making those graphics, you hand that off. And then maybe from there, you hire someone to do editing and you hire someone to upload it for you, et cetera. So trust that as you step into your Dharma more, the universe will show up and it will allow you opportunities to support you in the things that you don't want to do. One of my favorite affirmations that I say all the time still today is I receive the support I need so I can focus my energy on my Dharma. Mm -hmm. And that to me is so major because a lot of times we feel so overwhelmed by doing all of these other things that we don't want to do that we need to, but they're not in alignment with our Dharma, with our purpose, with our truth. So just calling that in of, I receive the support I need to focus my energy on my Dharma and trusting that there are other people whose Dharmas are to do the things that you don't like to do. Like there are people who might love to study the Google algorithm or love to, you know, engage on social media or whatever it is that is feeling really overwhelming for you. And the ultimate goal of a Dharma is to be able to bring other people in so they could also be living their dharmas in the greater picture of things. And that's how we really create a movement. So the point is not to hold on to everything or force yourself to do it. Yes, there may be months or years that you're doing things that you don't want to do, but trust that the more you dedicate to your dharma, the more support you'll receive. 
Yes. And it's, it's funny. Like I hate to say it, but I do feel, and I'm curious about your opinion on this because I feel like you are someone Sahara where in our group of friends, you seem to, people can feel that you're in your Dharma and my experience. And I don't know if it means that I'm off kilter in some way is that sometimes you have to be kind of willing to like eat shit to like keep being on the path. Mm. What do you think it is that has created, whether it's like serendipity or grace, or do you feel like you've had some like really down times on this quest that you really had to suck it up for lack of a better term, because you believed in something like, I want to understand where that gray zone is of like, are you simply off path and resisting your Dharma? And that's why everything sucks. Or is this just a part of the game? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's really a universal question that we all struggle with of like, is this feeling off because it's not for me? Or is this feeling off because I need to get through it? So I see your Dharma as you're on a beach and you want to get to open waters, but to get to open waters, there are the waves that are crashing towards the beach. So every time you swim out, these waves are bringing you exactly back to where you started. So you might try and try and be like, dude, I quit. I I keep swimming. I keep ducking. I keep this. I, I keep going back to the shore. I quit. Or you could use that opportunity to learn to maneuver the waves. Okay, how do I dodge them? How do I duck them? How do I move in between the waves and get stronger through that process? And then you make it out to the open waters. And then from there, you're like, dude, everyone come out. It's amazing out here. But you have to trust that you got to go through the waves. So in, in Ayurveda, Ayurveda is the sister science of yoga based on the mind-body connection. We have this concept, which I love so much. It was just the biggest game changer for me to understanding all of this. It's called Kriya and Karma, right? So we've all heard the word karma before. It's like, what goes around comes back around, that Justin Timberlake song. But, but actually, karma, the, the definition of karma is bounded action by the universe. So karma really is when life feels tough because it's nudging you towards something else. And Kriya is boundless action by the universe. So that's flow. So let's say we were all born on this highway. We're born on this highway. The end of the highway is your dharma. It's your purpose. It's you living your best damn life. And you're on this highway. You're going down. Now our society has built, you know, very imperfect systems. So there may be an exit over here saying, hey, you know what? You can make a lot of money doing this. You don't like doing it. You, In fact, you hate doing it, but you'll make a lot of money doing this. Oh, or your parents will be more proud of you if you get on this exit. Or everyone will laugh at you if you keep going forward. So get over here. Or you're never going to make it if you, that the, the Dharma thing, it doesn't even exist. Come over here and you see everyone else going off that exit. So you're like, whoa, do I get off this exit here? I see everyone else doing it. It makes sense. There are a lot of signs to it. Or do I trust and keep going forward towards this Dharma that I haven't even seen yet? So when we are on that highway and moving past those perhaps temptations or obstacles, et cetera, we gain more momentum. And that's the Kriya. That's the synchronicities. That's the the flow. Like the universe is pushing you in the right direction. You're, You're meeting the right people at the right time. You're having the right conversations. You're listening to this exact podcast. It's giving you the exact message you need to hear right now. That's how you know you're living in alignment with your Dharma. There's a push because the universe wants you to. The universe wants you to live in alignment with your dharma because that's the only way the world's going to come into balance. Like, obviously, it's going to make living your purpose feel like fucking good, like, because it wants you to be doing it. However, 
we as humans, we respond to pain. So when we get off this highway, let's say, for example, my parents kept telling me, become a real estate agent. You'll make a lot of money doing it. Like I'm like the, would be the worst realtor ever. I'd be like, you know, I don't really believe in homes, but go for it. (laughs) But they were telling me it's, they were like, you could just do your Ayurveda thing on the side, go. And I was studying, even when my book, Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda was coming out, I was studying, trying to do this real estate test, but I would end up crying every single time I opened the book because I hated it so much. So there I am trying to get off this highway. And I literally would experience like full, like tears, tears would come down. Or when I would go to this job I had at an ad agency for one summer, like I would break down coming back, like my physical body. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can like think of a job they were in or maybe are in right now that it's like physically deteriorating you to be in. And that's because we respond to that. We learn from pain. So the universe is basically first tapping you on the shoulder, like, Hey, that's not your Dharma. Like something feels off. You feel a little anxious and then you don't listen. And then it starts to punch you and you still don't listen. And then it can turn into a full on collision. And that's when a lot of people have like accidents that happen to them or something really traumatic that happens to them. You know, your story as well. It's like, you had no choice, but to really look at, okay, is this the direction I really want to be going in or not? And some people still don't listen to that too. So just because you have a Dharma doesn't mean you're guaranteed to live it. You have free will. So are we going to learn when it's tap, tap, taps, or are we going to wait for it to be a collision? Because life was actually meant to be lived in flow. We're meant to feel good. We're meant to have the right conversation at the right time. We're meant to be supported. But our society has created a norm that life is tough. Get a helmet, stick, stick to it, even if it sucks, because that's what you're supposed to do. So it's created this society that we've normalized living in karma instead of living in Kriya. So it can feel like foreign land to switch. Now, the more that we're in that karma, the more difficult the switch is going to be, the more tumultuous those waves are going to be. However, we can trust, if we can trust that nature is perfect, that that source, whoever it is, designed this perfect world with the seasons and natures and snowflakes and all these epic things, and we're a part of that too, then we can trust that we too have a purpose. So at first, depending on how off track you are, you're going to have to have awkward conversations. You might have to go through really difficult months. You know, I was almost disowned by my own family for doing this. However, the more and more you, in your own words, U-turn or pivot or redirect towards your Dharma and get back on that Dharma highway, the more flow you'll experience. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to give a shout out to Organifi right now, our sponsor for this episode. I just love their products, and one I've been using every single day is their green juice powder product, and I've whipped up a really fun green latte recipe for it. Sounds weird, tastes amazing. Every afternoon to get my greens on, I boil some hot oat milk and in a mug, I throw in a spoonful of their green juice powder as well as a half spoonful of my own matcha powder. And I use a frother to blend the green juice powder, the matcha powder, and the hot oat milk into this magical, tasty green latte that has become my ultimate afternoon pick-me-up. Their green juice powder is packed with 11 superfoods in it. Everything from ashwagandha, which is used in Ayurvedic medicine in India, to moringa, which is an herb that keeps your skin glowing, and they're using moringa in the Bahamas to prevent COVID-19. It's just 
incredible to detoxify your body, get your greens going, and it's organic. So to get yourself going on a super healthy green latte in the afternoon, just head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash U-Turn. And don't forget to enter your U-Turn code in to get that 20% off, Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. I don't make a penny off of this promo code, but I just love that they provided you with a discount. I love their products. And of course, I so appreciate that they're supporting the U-Turn podcast with their sponsorship. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I love this. And I also, um, I think that it reminds me a little bit of Byron Katie. Like, do you remember Sahara when she writes, like, if you knock on a thousand doors, eventually you'll get a yes. Mm, I love that. Yeah. It's like, I feel like sometimes when you've got your Dharma or a certain skill set, as I would talk about in the U-turn book, that is, is really yours and is really a reflection of who you are when you're in alignment. It's like, you know, you have to be willing to, knock on those doors, keep putting it out there. And I think that's the reflection of a true pro is somebody who keeps making their art, whatever that is, whether they're an artist or not, whatever their art means to them. If they're a teacher, a nurturer, a visionary, anything, it's like they keep being willing to put it out there in the face of rejection, in the face of nobody reading it. And then eventually something will hit if they're really in the truth of who they are. What message do you have for anybody who maybe they're the artist, for example, and they're putting their art out there and nobody's reading it. Nobody wants to, because I feel like we both grew up in a time, like you were saying, it's so funny you said that, like everybody's like, you're good at words. You should be a lawyer. I totally got that. Totally took the L for that. But it's like, how do you navigate when the world just isn't really meeting you where you're at when you're putting that work out there? And how do you kind of create more flow? Because you're talking about Kriya and flow. I love that feeling. And I know we all love that feeling where we're working on something and time just flies because we're so engulfed in it. How do you create that for yourself in your life? Or how do you take care of yourself so that you can have more of that? Yeah. So the answer really comes from listening. So I wouldn't say, you know, in, in Byron Katie's words, it's knock on a thousand doors and one will open. I would say it more of like, feel which door is calling you. So what I uh-huh. mean by that is it's not about blindly taking action and hoping one day it hits. It's not about, I'm going to keep doing this drawing every single day. Eventually someone will buy it and I'll become successful. Listen, listen to, okay, maybe I'll try the drawing this way. Maybe I'll try it with red. Maybe I'll do watercolor. Maybe I'll do people's faces and they'll like that. Maybe I'll commission and keep trying things and listen to where you're getting the feedback because you can't force your Dharma. You can't say, I want it to be this. So I'm just going to keep doing it this exact way, we actually learn and we grow, you know, for example, in, in blogging, I can't say this is my first blog post and I'm a perfect blogger already. So I'm going to keep writing exactly how I am forever until this goes viral. Like, no, you have to listen. What are other people wanting to read? What are people interested in? How can I align what it is that I'm good at towards that? So I think a lot of times we have this like feeling that, well, if it's meant for me, it will just happen. And that's not the case. You know, we do live in a world where there is um, equal transactions that happens. Every single thing that you're doing, including your Dharma is an energy exchange. So what type of energy exchange can you create that feels expansive for you? That feels like you're utilizing your gifts. You feel more energy from doing it. And there's someone on the other side that can benefit from it. 
Love this. And I know that sometimes you talked about services and it can be hard to choose which service we're right for. What message do you have for people who are like, this is my Dharma and here's a lot of ways to use it when it comes to making a decision? Yeah. So, you know, my, my parents always called me the confused girl. I was always labeled as confused because I was someone who had a lot of ideas. You know, I'm like, you know, maybe I should do skincare. I know, you know what, maybe I should do these recycled pants or maybe I should become a holistic doctor, this, that totally different thing. So they're like, you're crazy. You're confused. You don't know what you're doing. So just try to just stick to a normal path because you obviously don't know what it is that you want. So then I started to take on that identity of I'm a confused person. I don't know what it is that I want. Someone else listening? Anyone else? A lot of us carry that. So eventually I had to realize for myself that I'm not going to be able to, you know, have five different careers going on at once before I've even really brought one to life. So if I were to die in one year, what is the one thing that I would really regret not living? So at that time, I actually did have a recycled sari material pants company called Saraswati Couture helping victims of sex trafficking. And I was doing that and vending and it really wasn't in alignment with my gift. So I love to write and teach and share. So I realized if I had a year left, what I would really want to do is to write this book on, on Ayurveda. And that was my truth for me. So I decided to put the other things I wanted to do on hold. Maybe I'll get to them when I have the chance, or I would tell myself, you know, I'm definitely going to do the other things, but once I get this off the ground and once I did get my book off the ground, et cetera, then there was so much momentum towards what it is that I'm doing that I didn't, I don't want to at this point, like end and, and start something new from scratch because I'm already so in it. So if you are someone that has like a couple different things that you're not sure about, one really good practice that I recommend is just write a list of everything it is that you're interested in. Like it could be so random. You could be like, I'm interested in candles and I'm interested in like carpets. I don't know. I'm just naming things in my, yeah. in my room right now, but everything it is that you're interested in right now. And then from there, create three categories, you know, maybe there's a category that's healing, it's Reiki and herbalism and yoga. And then maybe there's a category that's human connection and it's coaching and it's social media. And then maybe there's a category that's technology and it's, um, apps and that sort of thing. So then looking at these three categories, healing, human connection, technology, now how can I bring these three things together? So it could be something, some of us, we need to create a system for ourselves and a framework, or it could be that thing that you know that you really want to do, but you're fearful of trusting yourself enough to do it and just to take action on it. Love this. And I also love that you talked about how like if you had a year to live, you had written that Ayurvedic book. And it's like, I know that you're kind of on to writing other books now. And it's just such a reminder that purpose moves, you know, and sometimes we kind of hold ourselves I don't want to say like hostage, but kind of to like an old purpose that no longer fits us and it's time to make a change. And one thing that has really stuck with me, so Recently, I've been coaching a couple of government officials, like senator, like CIA, all sorts of interesting personalities. And one one of them said something to me the other day that really sat with me. She talked about like a passage she read in a book about how sometimes um, our lives kind of feel like we could go so many different directions that it's almost like we're looking out into the ocean, watching different ships sail away of entire lives we could have chosen or had, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And I kind of feel like that with commitment, like whether it's like me and William are talking about getting engaged or married, it's like, I kind of feel like, wow, there's so many other relationships with men I could have had. And I'm watching those ships sail away because I'm choosing this. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with my career. Sometimes I'm like, damn, I would love to create a skincare line or I would love to, that feels really fun. And I feel like people like you or I, or anybody listening, we're capable beings. We can go and create. And so I, I guess my question for you is around making a choice or making a decision when you have so many options or when you're, um, that service that you're working on under the, the umbrella of your Dharma is no longer aligned. Like what message do you have for people around making it a choice and just, um, letting those ships sail and kind of grieving those other options? Cause I think sometimes we mistake our grief for a choice we didn't make as meaning we made the wrong choice or do you know what I mean? Yeah. What just came through to me is trust that you won't miss your ship. Just trust that. Just trust that the ship that you are meant to get on and to sail away and to bring to the world is the exact one that you will get on if you align with your truth. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, you know, I was in a seminar with, um, do you know, Mary Morrissey Sahara? Have you ever heard of her? I don't know. I feel like she does uh, work with Bob Proctor and all those. And she got on stage and she gave a question. She said, write down at the top of the page, whatever your goal is, whatever you want. So maybe your goal is to figure out your Dharma, or maybe your goal is to get more clients, whatever it is. And she said, right at the top of the page, what can I do from where I am now with what I have now to get closer to, and then you put your goal in. Mm -hmm. And she had us all write down on a piece of paper, like all of the different ways. And she said, don't creatively block yourself. Just like, even if it's a weird idea in your judgment, just write it. And we, a lot of people had like a hundred things on their piece of paper. Like, these are all of the things I could do to get closer to this goal. And it wasn't about reaching the goal. It was just about getting closer to the goal. And then she had a star, the things that actually felt fun and expansive as a way to get closer to the goal, which I feel like is kind of in alignment with how you're sharing is like, do the things that you feel kind of drawn towards. And so I think a lot of people listening, they struggle to kind of feel that intuition. So I wanted to ask you about intuition. Like, how do you get connected to your intuition? How do you even notice what you're drawn towards? Because I think some of us are like in this robot reality where we're not really connected enough to ourselves. Yeah. So for me, I like to think of it as a somatic feeling in the body. So what does expansive feel like for you? Like when I just tell you, Ashley, imagine expansiveness in your body. Like what does your body naturally want to do? Mm, I feel like in my heart, Sahara, like I'm a content creator, even more than a peopler. Like I love people, but I think I'm better alone behind my laptop, like connecting and writing. And, um, I've been thinking a lot about, um, turning the book you turn into a movie. Mm. And so I would say like continuing to create content. It's interesting because having written my book, it was so fulfilling and I don't feel like I have another book in me right now, but I do feel like I want to turn it into a film. So I would say I picture myself like creating in some way that makes that happen. Mm. And now when you imagine like expansive somatically a feeling, like what does your body want to do? How would you express that physically? Mm, what do you mean by that? Like, like, like running? Or? Yeah. Like for example, for me, when I think of expansive, I picture myself opening up my arms, like in a back bend and like my heart being open and there's so much space, like I'm stretching out my body and I'm physically feeling longer. Like that's what it feels like somatically for me. What, mm. what does that feel like for you? 
it feels kind of like, um, a rainy day with a big sweater. Like you're, you just feel so cozy and like, um, safe and like relaxed. Mm. I feel relaxed. Love that. Okay. So what does contractive feel like for you? Um, I would say it feels like exhaustion and pushing through and like one more email after a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And how could you, when you feel like that contractive energy, what does it feel like in your body? Mm, like I, I'm just tired. Like it, like just sleepy. Mm, love that. Yeah. Like for me, contractive feels like that feeling when you're on an airplane for just like too long and they're like four more hours, you're like, Oh, yeah. and your back yeah. hurts and you have no space. And you're like, I just want to like, remember the time I had a bed and I could just sprawl out and you feel so physically stuck and stagnant. So, so now using that as your compass of if expansive feels like comfort and safety and that, that rainy day and that sweater, you're just like creating your content. You're in your zone. You have no emails. That's your North star. That's what you get to keep moving towards. And if contractive feels like this, um, continuous pull of people tugging at your, at your, um, your elbow telling you, come here. No, go over there. No, I need you for this. I need you for that. Then, you know, that's what you need to step away from. For me, it's stepping away from something that doesn't let me stretch or move forward. That feels too repetitive. So for each of us, it's going to feel differently. So for someone who's like, I don't know what my intuition feels like. I like to just be in the body because really your intuition is your body. It's not like this, like, you know, genie that comes down and tells you what to do. It's that feeling that you feel every single day on a baseline basis. So if you feel what's expansive, what's contractive, and you let that be your compass, you're always going to be guided to your truth. Mm, I love this. And I feel like, um, one piece of advice kind of to tailgate where you are that I always give clients or people in courses is kind of like to start to pay attention to when you feel the most yourself and like, what are the places, people, or things that you do to make you feel a sense of that? Is there a time, Sahara? I actually am personally curious. Cause I feel like as long as I've known you, I think it's been like three or four years that, since we met, I feel like you've always been like feeling pretty connected to me and like pretty inspired. Um, was there a time that you were not inspired at all in the work that you were doing and how did you kind of take that in and make a change? Definitely. (laughs) For sure. I think that a lot of people, you know, again, you see someone's success, you're like, they just haven't figured out. And that was definitely not my case. It was really quivering action, right? So the time of my life that I was, I just wasn't even sure I had a purpose, to be honest. I thought that it was something other people had, but not me. I thought it was like, you're either Justin Bieber or you're not. I had never seen anyone live their purpose around me. I had no example for that. My mom was a refugee. My dad was an immigrant. Like We just came to America. They escaped from a war and a revolution in Iran. And life was about survival, you know? So for me, my, my story of growing up was I'm going to like get married to someone who can support me and be safe. That was actually, you know, and like help people like as like a, you know, a nonprofit, but definitely not make it my job. No one in my family had ever worked. So when I was then going through this journey of, you know, I really want to help people. I want to create a career helping people. It was giving me more and more strength along the way. But those stories, especially the familial stories, ancestral stories were still very much there. And eventually in my early twenties really reached this, um, rocky patch with my parents where they were seeing me taking 
taking choices they weren't in alignment with of not getting a stable job, not, you know, continuing my education, trying to write this book without having a book deal going to Bali and India and all of these places. And they didn't even understand what I was doing. So they were very, very fearful, fearful for my safety, fearful for my security. You know, their, their greatest dream was to come to America and be safe. And here I am like going to India and and doing the polar opposite, but you know, comparing it to Maslow's hierarchy, when your life is focused on survival, you're going to then reach towards your wants, towards your luxuries. And when you have that met, which I was privileged to be raised in this country and have my, all my needs met, then I'm reaching for self-actualization to know who I really am. So that doesn't make sense. And it can even come off as a first world privilege for someone that didn't have that opportunity. So it reached this really, um, tumultuous time with them where they were trying to do anything they could to keep me safe when really it was confining me. So from threatening to disown me, if I were to continue doing, um, my writing, my Ayurveda book to calling me so many different names that I'm a failure. I'm a loser. They're so upset that I'm their daughter doing whatever they could to try to get me off this path into something that they thought was more safe. And of course I was fighting back with them, but then I would leave the fight and say, are they right? You know, am I going to become homeless? Am I going to become a starving artist? Do I think I'm someone special to have this purpose? But really, it's just a bunch of bullshit. It's like a a Santa Claus story they tell you and you grow up and you realize it's not true. So I was not fully convinced of it myself. So how am I going to like stand up against someone when I wasn't so sure? But now I realize that I needed to face their their disapproval to gain my own approval because growing up, like so many of us as children, we're taught to get our parents' approval, get their gold star, get their okay, and then we can move forward. Here I was completely not having it. In fact, saying that I, being called selfish for living my purpose, being told I was destroying the family for living my purpose. And I had to get to the point of choosing to not live with the regret to not live with the wondering of what could have happened if I listened than to minimize myself and concede to their story that is based in fear and forever not know the truth of what I was capable of in this lifetime. So if anyone is in that stage, I know how difficult it is with parents, especially parents who've undergone immigration, poverty, addiction, et cetera. We have to understand that we were born into the families, into the microcosms that we were meant to solve. So I was born into a family of child marriage and female suppression, et cetera, because I am here to solve that issue. You may have been born in a family of addiction or um, something, some other type of issue. That's because you needed that front row seat to see and even love someone that has that those very issues that you came to this planet to solve. So I see that as part of my soul's curriculum. It was part of my unique schooling because you're born with your dharma, you're born with your purpose, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to embody it. So I needed to get that strength to sit in front of the people who I wanted their approval the most and not have it and still choose myself. Because then moving forward in my life, people could say to me, whatever it is that they want. If I could, if I could not have my own parents' approval. I don't need some random stranger hater on Instagram's approval. And that was the journey my soul needed to have. 
Mm, okay. And I love that we're talking about criticism because I feel like um, there's that really vulnerable sweet spot where maybe somebody listening right now is going to say, okay, I'm looking at these nine archetypes. This one's mine. Um, they read your book, they read my book, whatever it is. And then they kind of get to a place where they're like, dang, I need to make a change. And there's so much vulnerability in that moment and putting yourself out there and kind of like readjusting your life. How do you, what would be the one message you have for anybody who is like, I don't want to be criticized. I don't want, I don't want people to make fun of me. I don't want to leave that job and start that company, or I don't want to, you know, change jobs or have that conversation, whatever it is. What would be your message? People are going to criticize you regardless. People are going to criticize you, whether you remain exactly where you are or if you change. So you're never going to escape other people's criticism, but would you rather have it of you living your dharma or would you rather have it and be exactly where you are, which is unhappy because you're never going to escape that. And the, you know, writing a book is such a vulnerable thing because you literally are putting this book up and you'll see when your book comes out, Ashley, you're putting it up on the internet for tons of Amazon reviews. So these are people who yeah, have oh my God. never met you. A lot of them are professional critics. So their job is to literally find the flaws of your book or, and, and sometimes it gets really, really personal. And I remember before my first book coming out, I was just like, I felt sick to my stomach even thinking about the fact that I'm going to have all of these people write all of these one-star reviews and everyone's going to hate me. And it, I was like, not even sure if I even wanted the book to come out. I was like, I'm not even going to look at my Amazon, but I want to. And it's like this extremely vulnerable thing because you're putting yourself, your story, your message out there for it to just be. And especially in the media world, for some reason, I feel like people think like the person behind the computer is not a real human. However, imagine if I had kept that from being on this podcast, from being here today, from living my truth. Imagine if I let someone whose literal profession is to criticize people to keep me from living my truth. And, you know, there's a really good example in the, in the artist's way. And I think it's such a great example to see that there was this, I think it was actually herself, Julia Cameron, but she was working on some, some documentary and worked so hard on it for so many years. And it finally came out and the initial reviews she got were horrible. They said, this documentary sucks. Here are all the reasons why it sucks. So here she was putting herself out there and it got all of this criticism. But then later on, someone decided to make a play out of it and to even take it further out into the world. So one person's criticism could be the very thing that someone loves about it. So we can't stop what is that we're going to do to prevent someone to not say something about us because that's always going to be there. And by the way, the more you put yourself out there, the more that you shine your light, the more the people who haven't met their own light are going to be intimidated by you. However, the worst thing that you can do is to withhold your light because then we're going to create more critics in the world, more people who are, you know, focused on bringing other people down rather than raising other people up. So I would rather be part of the solution than part of the problem. I'd rather put myself out there and have someone who's, you know, feels good about themselves writing shitty reviews on people. I would rather do that and help thousands of people along the way than to not. Yes. And it's, I think it's just all part of the vehicle of putting yourself out there and being who you truly are is like you do all of this personal development. It's funny. It's almost like we have to do a lot of self-help and growth work just to stay ourselves. Yes. You know what I mean? Like just to get back to ourselves. And this reminds me a lot of, I don't even know if it was an Aristotle quote or Albert Hubbard. I've seen so many people credited for this, but it says to there's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing and be nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to say, oh, she's so quiet. You know, you can't <laughs> even escape it. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like my grandma used to say, like, you could be the best tasting peach, but there's always somebody who doesn't like peaches. I'm like, all right, thanks, grandma. Totally true. So I feel like I'm so, it's so much fun to hear you um, light up about this work, Sahara. And I'm so grateful that we're friends and that I get to kind of like get your energy just outside of work. Like you're just such a blessing. And I, I, I'm curious, like, how can everybody support you right now with your book that's out today guys as we were talking about amazon reviews like get her book give her some good vibes on amazon reviews it is so hard as an artist to put yourself out there it is i think as much of an inspiring experience a painful one like i feel like like ernest hemingway says like there's nothing to writing just sitting at the typewriter and bleeding like thank you for bleeding this sahara oh into the world. and how can everybody go support you now Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. And I'm so excited for people to read U-Turn, to rediscover your Dharma, to help themselves on an internal level, external level, spiritual, physical, all of it is so needed right now, especially with all of the career shifts and transitions and losses. This, you know, is a really tough time for so many of us. And it's such an incredible opportunity for ourselves to really ask who we are, how we want to share, how we want to show up in the world and live in alignment with that. So you can get my book, Discover Your Dharma at IamSaharRose.com slash Dharma. It's available on Amazon, wherever books are sold. But if you um, submit your receipt over there, you're able to get videos of me doing the practices with you from the meditation to the tapping to the embodiment practice, et cetera, to do it along with you. So that's IamSaharRose.com slash Dharma. And you can also get my Dharma Dharma Archetype Quiz to understand your Dharma Archetype at dharmaarchetypequiz.com. Woohoo! Thank you again. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. 
Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.